Hello and welcome back to Vox Popcast, the weekly pseudo-academic roundtable of pop culture analysis with drinking and swearing. My name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav, and I am once again here with my co-hosts, Anna and Monica. Hey guys, how's it going? Mav, I feel like I complained to you that I was in finals for so many weeks, and now I just get to complain to you that I'm back in school. It never stops. (laughs) (laughs) I had the last three weeks off. Because, you know, I finished grading and there were no classes and I had other work to do. I had to like write syllabi and stuff and I had to like work on my book and, you know, things like that. But basically three weeks off and now classes have started up again and I don't remember how to do this. I'm exhausted. I've worked, you know, five days in a row, like all day. Oh, my God. This is how do people do this? I don't understand. You worked a five I was going to say five hour, five day office job for many years, didn't you? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I worked nine to five for like 20 years. I, I, I should be able to do this, but I can't. I'm like so exhausted and I don't understand what to do. Yeah, it's it's fine. I mean, I'll be, I'll be fine. And it's just literally that first week back. I'm just like, oh, my God, this yeah. is exhausting. Why don't, did you did you take off, Hannah? Or like because you're I mean, you like you're I, not I, a teacher, I, but you work I, at a school. So what yes, happens? They give you designated holidays and accrued vacation time and sick leave. And mm-hmm. otherwise you work. So I, I took a week off. I, I, I would imagine that. there's less work, though. Right. Isn't, I mean, I, just because there's not professors around to like bug you. It, well, I think it, it, it depends, I think, sometimes on the schedule and what you have going on and what your projects are as, as a staff. But I spent my time off going on a 32 hour total road trip across the southern United States. So uh, that's exhausting in its own way. Yeah, um, yes, you, although, have, you have dispersed family between you and, and yes. Josh. And I, well, I will say I didn't watch Saltburn with my family, which is what apparently everyone on Twitter did this holiday season. Oh, that's what I did. I mean, we've <laughs> talked about this before on the podcast, right? But my family, my, I shouldn't say my family, my mom and I have somehow come up with a Christmas tradition, which is that we, it started as we accidentally are going to put on the most disturbing movie of award season that we possibly find and watch it together as our fun holiday movie. And then I think this year was the first year that we like consciously picked a fucked up movie so like Mm -hmm. year one we accidentally watched uncut gems starring adam sandler because we were like oh Mm -hmm. we heard it's adam sandler in a drama and that was it that was our only contact and we should have seen how stressed out we were at the end of that movie like absolutely could not speak to each other we were both like should we make tea yeah tea right now tea everyone tea so you feel like you sat through the whole thing (laughs) we sat through the whole because that's the other thing my mom and i played this game of chicken where neither one of us are going to admit that the movie is weird or uncomfortable in any way like we both need to be the cool one that handle it and then at the end we're both like oh i feel like i survived war so so that was year one and then last year was we sat and watched lady chatterley's lover because my mom really loved period romance movies and i was like this will be great and for anyone who hasn't seen the netflix version it is just porn it's just porn it's just sex montage Mm -hmm. after sex montage after masturbation montage after more sex montage (laughs) it's a romance novel that's the point of the movie if you've seen bridgerton imagine condensing all nine hours into an hour and a half and it's just Mm -hmm. sex scenes and now you've got an idea of what lady chatterley's lover is and my mom and I sat and watched it on my 15 inch laptop screen together cuddled on a couch and neither one of us made eye contact throughout the entire movie we went that was the experience watching Oppenheimer with Stephanie my wife her with her mom went and I just I just looked at the two of them I look over like during the sex scenes and they just would not address each other there's just like a I'm like and I'm staring why did you why did you come to this together this is um, (laughs) not not comfortable but the difference is I mean, I don't know how Monica feels about. Actually, I do know how Monica feels about her mom. My my mother in law is a wonder woman, wonderful woman. She is not cool. This was not a place to where she's not the woman that wants to watch porn with her daughter. So so I you've what you've is, done this it? somehow. Uh, this made a choice. I do have the mom who wants to watch porn with her daughter because mm-hmm. basically, like, it took us a good six months to be like that movie was weird to watch together, right? And we were both like, yeah. And so this year, as we are sitting picking out movies 
I basically give my mom the list of everything that we could possibly pick to sit down and watch. And she goes, oh, British Manor Home and and Gay Sex and Murder. Yeah, I like that. I, I pick that one. So it's our Christmas movie this year. It's also the topic for this episode. I feel like yes, we should have let should, the should, listeners know at this in. point in time that yeah. we are absolutely going to be talking about all the Okay. <laughs> yeah. We get into how we thought about it. You brought a guest. We should we should like introduce the guest and then we can get into the into the salt burn of it all. Um this episode will have spoilers, but we're not we're not there yet. So like let's tell us who the guest is first. It's, I'm really sad to say it's not my mom because as much as my mom loves being the cool mom, she's not quite cool enough to be podcast mom. Um <laughs> so <laughs> Um, I brought a person who I feel like I have the most theoretical movie conversations with on a daily basis because we share a grad office. So I brought my friend, Eric. Eric, welcome to the podcast. Would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners? Yeah, sure. I'm glad to be called cooler than your mom. But yeah, I'm Eric. I am a PhD student at UCLA with Mount Monica, but in the cinema and media studies program. My areas of interest are like the convergence of like vaudeville and the uh, classical Hollywood sphere, but also on the relationships of uh, gross out humor and the kind of tension between the homosocial and the homosexual. So I think Saltburn is a really interesting movie and we're going to have fun talking about it. Thank so, you so much for being here. Yeah. yeah, thank you. So I guess if you've not seen Saltburn yet, we are going to this is going to be an episode with spoilers on it. We are going to spoil the fuck out of this movie because I don't know that there's a way to talk about it without doing so. So this, I guess, is your last warning to if you want to go watch the film first, this would be the moment to, like, pause this episode and come back because. Spoiler alert. OK, so I watched this last night because Monica made me. Um, Hannah, you watched it, I guess, two days ago, three, something like that. I I think I, I watched it this weekend. I can't do the math right now. I'm tired. Yeah. I watched it this weekend with Josh because he he actually originally saw the trailer and was like, Anna, I think you will really enjoy this film. We should go see it in theaters. And then, you know, my local theaters that didn't cost $10 a movie shut down. So I didn't think this was worth my $10 because I'm saving money for a puppy. Um, so so I caught on Amazon Prime like everyone else. Okay. This movie has been somewhat popular in the Twitter sphere for the last couple of weeks. And I'm I'm very interested in this and seeing why, because I have thoughts. I don't know if they're thoughts Monica wants. I guess this is an episode of Is This a Good Movie? Monica, this was your idea. Why do we do this? <laughs> <laughs> One, because I do think it takes a special movie to enrapture the attention of the internet. And there's something mm-hmm. really interesting happening here about the fact that usually the movies that I like that are about British manor homes that are technically this is a period piece because it does take place in 2007, but are period movies like that was a period. Yes. They don't enrapture the internet outside of like, you know, the tiny little portion that I interact with on Twitter. That's as a best Twitter. Yeah. Nerds. The Gilded Age as I am. Right. Like Mm -hmm. usually it does not take over at this like mass here. And, And so I think that there is something worth having a discussion about because largely the discourse on the internet has been some version of is this a good movie question mark so am i you know picking a popular topic so that we can get clicked maybe but also (laughs) i think it's relevant to have a discussion about why everyone is so interested in this movie because i think it is kind of a an eat the rich sort of narrative which is something that we did an entire episode about last Mm -hmm. year so so in a sense i'm wondering how much this is a continuation of i I feel like it kind of like missed the the zeitgeist of being able to be part of that larger conversation when we were talking about things like final of sadness and the menu right Mm -hmm. but at the same time i think it might be adding something new to the conversation so i guess it felt both fuzzy and significant enough for us to do a story about but i am interested Mm -hmm. to know if everyone thinks it's a good movie 
Eric? I'll add to this by saying I I'll also, I guess I'll start by saying I do think it's a good movie, but I don't think it's like the most it's like the deepest movie. I think a lot of people are kind of faulting it on Twitter for like kind of like a calling it surface level or what have you. But it also I don't think it was ever intended to be super, super deep. I think it was supposed to be fun more than anything. And I had a lot of fun with it. <laughs> so I'm just vibing on the I'm going with the vibes of the movie yeah hannah hannah <laughs> i don't want to say i don't it's not a bad movie like but i don't and i don't want to i don't want to say it's not a good movie i think that by the time i watched it it had been so hyped up as like oh my god from like pearl clutchers and also just like people trying to think deeply about it or faulting the movie for not thinking deeply as you said eric that i went into it with preconceived notions and i did have a good time in many like scenes sometimes for the perhaps the wrong reason that, that the movie was expecting me to have a certain a reaction and it was slightly different than, than they wanted me to have but at the end of the day like after like all the hype and all the anger from some contingent on the internet or all these visceral reactions i was just kind of like eh, yeah that was fun that happened it was a movie it was it was a movie movie monica yeah it's a movie movie that i think you see in the cinema movie and i thought it was good i'm gonna be like for me and i want a cards on the table of like i don't know why this gives me and this also feels like a very 2008 9 kind of moment but it was giving me hannibal like hannibal mm -hmm. nbc tv, TV series hannibal. like mm -hmm. Ryan Fuller, like Hannibal energy in terms of like, because it kind of has these like these moments where you sit and you you chew on the scenery and it just kind of exists to look gratuitous. And I think that there is something actually incredibly feminist about treating a penis the way every other movie tries to treat titties, like to just have them on the screen for the purpose of being like there for thirsty consumption of teenagers. I think there is something incredibly campy about making this a movie set in 2007 where everyone has Justin Bieber haircuts. Like, I think that this movie is giving me all of the things that I love. And while I understand that that is not everyone's arbiter of taste, I think that very specifically, this is a movie that exists to appeal to Monica's sensibilities. Right. If we are talking about the fact that this is coming from Monica, who loved the 2008 of Jennifer's body, right? Like, uh, okay. Right. Like, this much. is this is also kind of the movie that I want that is blaming the weird something about like even the way that the shots are framed to be like a little bit as if it's like a flirty relationship where it's just kind of the the way it's edited together to look like they're always like checking each other out. Like, there's there's something to me really kind of special happening in this movie that I don't think I think the reasons I love it and the reasons I think it's are not the reasons that people on Twitter are engaging with it which are like shock value or the penis right like mm -hmm. I, I, and that's why I think that this is an interview worth discussing it's it's very much the why I made us talk about sucker punch of being like there's something more there and and everyone's not getting that there's something more there and something more interesting to I don't know okay. slurp on yeah <laughs> Thank you for that. Yeah, yeah you're welcome. Let me see what you did there. Okay, so here, here's my take. I don't think it's a movie, movie, movie that you say in cinema movie, movie. I That's not to say I didn't enjoy it. I actually thought it was, I don't, I don't think enjoy is the right word because I think it was interesting. So I need a little bit of caveats here in that, I mean, you've listened to this show long enough, you know that I'll watch anything and I might, yeah, I will watch. If you, if you tell me you want to do an episode on it, content, yeah, I'll, I'll watch a movie and, and, and discuss it with my friends. I'm all for that. Right. Um, you, you mean and, like when I made you watch Kingsman, the prequel, and I'm so sorry. I, no, no. I actually enjoyed Kingsman, the prequel in that um, it gave me something to talk to you and people about for, you know, for an hour. It, like that's part of what I love about movies, like the, movies, books, content, media. Like the reason I became me, you know, a professor, the reason you go out and get a PhD in some kind of, you know, media, cultural studies is because I want to be able to sit down and have these discussions about stuff that is sometimes good, sometimes bad. But what I'm looking for is interesting. So mm -hmm. it's not so much about whether I enjoy it. 
Like I will totally have a discussion about something that is interesting over something that is boring, not boring. Like I didn't like it. Cause there are boring movies that I like, but like, I, I want there to be something there where I can like have a discussion for an hour. And that interests me because I'm a weird nerd who, you know, became an English major for a living. Right. Like that's, that's nerdy and weird. So I'm totally in there. And here's the distinction that I would make back when we did, you you brought up the episode that we did on the eat the rich movies, right? I would argue that the menu is a movie movie and triangle of sadness is not a movie movie. Not that either of them is bad, but I think that triangle of sadness is not trying to be an enjoyable movie for people who want to go sit in the cinemas and watch a movie movie. Whereas the menu wants to say something, but it also wants to be a piece of entertainment. Triangle of Sadness wants to be an artifact that you point at and you say, I've watched this thing. I have invited in it and let us have a discussion about it. Like, I think that Saltburn wants to be the thing that we watch and then we have a discussion and not the thing that you ever go, huh, that was something I enjoyed that. And then you move on with your day. Now, I never do that anyway, right? Like I will I will go and see Avengers Endgame and then I want to have a discussion about it because I'm a weird, you know, nerd. But like I think regular people like to be able to go to a movie movie and go, well, that was a fine use of my two hours. Let's move on. Let's go have dinner. Let's go have sex. Let's go do whatever else they're going to do with their day. Right. And that's not like, I don't think you can do that with Saltburn. Saltburn, you certainly don't want to have sex after watching that. I'm like, like, you're like, this was, there was, that was, that was a thing. And, and so, so that's where I'm at with it. And as a discussion movie, as opposed to a movie movie, I, it wasn't my favorite. I think it was interesting enough that I can have a conversation about it, but I, it's getting a lot of Oscar buzz right now. I think it's interesting. I don't think it's a movie that deserves the level of Oscar buzz the way it's getting. There's not enough there compared to a world that has Oppenheimer's in it or a world that has Barbies in it. I didn't like this as much as I liked the menu or triangle of sadness, though. I do think there's something to discuss, but on the, because, you know, we've also done episodes on Jennifer's body and, and sucker punch. Right. So I think there's something there. I think it's trying to do something interesting. And that's what, that's what the story is a lot more so than actually enjoying the story. Does that make sense? I, I do understand. I think, your your idea of is this a movie to discuss or is this a movie to go see in the cinema but i think that i think that movies are not always going to fall into that binary especially when we're dealing with awards films right like Mm -hmm. because i think awards films specifically exist to try and have your cake and eat it too like i think that barbie and i think oppenheimer does that yeah barbie attempts to be a film that asks you to go have conversations about feminism after you Mm -hmm. sit through barbie and and so there is a sense in which I'm like, do I feel like this is potentially some version of like a cult classic that accidentally made it bigger than it should have because of the internet? Like, I think that that might be a more relevant way to sort of frame this film because I do think you're right that it's like a, this is not necessarily a movie for everyone. And it is therefore also not necessarily a movie that's going to facilitate the same level of discussion that you and I would want to engage in with it because frankly, that's what happened with Jennifer's body and Jennifer's body didn't have the internet. I think that if Jennifer's well, body had the internet, we'd be having a different kind of conversation, right? Yes, but I think it's just the opposite. So, like, I think that this is a movie that wants to be a discussion piece, would have been a discussion piece amongst film nerds for a couple of weeks, but because of the internet, it's going to get to become a cult classic. So the opposite of what you said, like, I don't think it's a cult classic that's going to get to be a discussion piece. I think it's a discussion piece that's going to get to be a cult classic because it happened to hit the world during the very tail end of 2023 a you know a banner year of mediocrity in the world of film i mean i actually think there were a lot of good movies last year but the market as a whole was down and i think that it hits at the very end and it and it gains traction in the first week of 2024 when there's just nothing to see right because like nothing new release you know hey let's go see night swim you know oh by the way wayne's in our lead of our box office game uh, so i think that it, the internet sort of reverse morbius it into something you know and, and i think maybe and and this is something i asked 
Eric about specifically and why I thought of you as being such a great guest for this show was this to me is hitting a little bit more of the the time that Hannibal was on the air. It was the third largest fandom on Tumblr, which is mm-hmm. huge considering that this was a show that basically got picked up by NBC because it was incredibly cheap to produce overseas and basically no one was watching it. Like it was very niche audience like for like intellectuals who like Hannibal because it was incredibly gory and it was all about Brian Fuller being like, I don't understand straight men. Why don't I make a TV show exploring the friendships of straight men? And somehow it exploded to be this thing that was bigger than it was intended to be. It became the cult classic because of the internet. And and so I think that there is something actually about the fact that Saltburn chooses to be neither gay nor straight, right? Like it, it purposefully is sort of playing on both conventions in this way that is like, I think doing a similar thing to the way that Hannibal was always like, let's make things like, let's make the sexual tension and the thirst be part of why everyone is so interested in this. I think if you're going off of like the trajectory of Hannibal, you have this idea of queer desire wherein like uh, it's almost this, the way it's framed is almost forbidden object in Hannibal. You have a patient therapist or a psychiatrist, or I can't remember Hannibal's job off the top of my head. I'm going to get uh, some he's snack a psychi- for that. He's a psychologist, technically, but yes. <laughs> yeah, His yeah, job is eating people. Also have, you know, the 2007 era being this period where, like, I mean, they're watching super bad, right? It's mm-hmm. kind of this kind of jockey humor that has a sort of homophobia about it in its own way. And so that in and of itself makes make this relationship of beyond the class differences between um, Barry Keegan and uh, Jacob Lordy forbidden, right? So I think that is also something that my audiences are finding titillating about it is this idea of, of a relationship that isn't supposed to happen, but happens anyway, but also kind of doesn't. Mm-hmm. It's all the part for Barry Keegan in the end. And I think that in and of itself, just like Monica was saying, reminds me of that that era of Tumblr, where like this is what people are gravitating to. It's kind of like almost a trip back to the past. It's nostalgic in a way without for like a certain group mm-hmm. who was on Tumblr at that time. And at that same time, if you weren't on tum- Tumblr at that time, I can imagine that would be very alienating to just go from one to the other, right? Like, or to like kind of do a deep dive into that. Cause like nothing in this movie shocked me or whatever. I was like, Oh yeah, that, right. that makes sense. That makes sense. Even the Emerald Fennell's attempt at a twist. I was like, that's not a twist. That's just what was going to happen. And so I guess, you know, okay, we're, for some we're in spoiler territory. So the twist, can we can we can we jump into that a bit? And this is this was like my annoyance with the movie. This is where I got irritated with it. I uh-huh. think that the movie turns on the fact that Ollie, the main character, Barry Kagan's character is oh my God, you were the bad guy all along. And I'm like, no shit. That was obvious from like scene three. And I, and I, and I'm not, I don't think that's, it's obvious to me because, you know, literary analysis, right? Like, I think it was just obvious. I think it was just telegraphed. It's like, oh, I've been manipulating the situation. I'm the killer. Yeah, we know. Like, you're, Mm -hmm. you're clearly the killer. I, I'm you know, pretty sure is, everyone's known he was the killer all movie, right? This or, is, like, this, yeah, like this This is like the not a smart comment, but I will make it anyway. The entire time I was watching this movie, I was just thinking, oh, this is what Druig would have been like in The Eternals if like he were the actual bad guy like in some of the comics. That is that that yeah. that, that, that was all I could think because because Barry Keegan played Struig in the Eternals yeah. for those of you who do not care about the MCU. <laughs> and so like all I could see was him mocking Icarus in some of his like scenes where he's being terrible to Farley. And I'm not saying that you know his his performance was bad in either of those movies. I thought he was good. It's just mm-hmm. He's a phenomenal actor. And again, I'm one of my favorite movies from last year, Banshee's and Sheeran, or actually two years ago, technically, but you know, um, which he's also in. He's phenomenal. Did anybody see Banshee's of Sheeran? Other than I was me? told I would cry if I watched it, so I didn't. I did oh, not you would absolutely. Oh, you would absolutely cry. It's touching, scary, off, not scary, 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 but scary, like in a, it, there's, it, yeah, it's a heart tugging movie. It seemed like and a Thomas Hardy movie, but like not in the 19th century. So that seemed like 
too close for me. He's he's good in it. He's he's not yeah. the star. He's very much a supporting actor, but he is very good in it. He is very good for his two minutes of screen time in the Batman. He is very good in Eternals. He is very good in this. He is a good actor. I, but like I felt like this movie really wants you to be on board with the shocker he's gay yeah i mean or he's bi you know like so i think it does fit into a very real sense of 2007 that's like where the cultural zeitgeist of you know we'd gotten we'd gotten past very barely but we'd gotten past the cultural zeitgeist sort of being okay with the existence of, of bisexual women and we were getting into the cultural zeitgeist being okay with the existence of bisexual men so there's an interestingness to the queerness that this isn't really a movie from 2007 it's 2023 when they made this so yeah it was pretty clear from the first time you saw him it's like oh He's going to also be in love with this guy. Yeah, obviously we know, right? It's not a surprise. And I don't know if that one's supposed to be, because I, I think that's supposed to be the fake surprise. Like, and then the, the big surprise is going to be like, and he's a murderer. And, and, and again, like we know we've been waiting at the, at the point at which he kills Felix. I think we've been waiting for him to kill Felix for a good 20 minutes by then. Like, I'm like, yeah, can, can, can we, can we move this along? Can you start off? Like, I didn't know anything about the movie when it came out. I knew that people were, were talking about it because I'd specifically avoided spoilers because I knew we were going to do the show on it. So I knew people were talking about it. I knew Monica really wanted us to see it. I knew it was a thinky movie, supposedly. And I knew, I knew his penis would show up at some point because I couldn't, that was the one thing I was unable to avoid. So by the time the murder happens, the first murder, I'm like, seriously, can we move this along? You've been like dwelling over these people for way too long. Kill one of them already. Ah, yeah. Now we're moving. And then and then the murders come in a pretty good clip to get us over with. But it, but it takes a little too long to get to the murder. And then at the end, it's like, surprise, the murderer was me. And they show you these flashbacks to here's how he did it. And it's like, yeah, we know. Like, did you think it was subtle that he was the one who murdered Felix? Because it was pretty obvious. That, that was necessarily supposed to be the twist. I, I thought that the twist and, and perhaps it was because I was like, yes, this is just the narrative. We're moving along. To me, mm -hmm. the thing that I think stuck out that was supposed to be the twist is the like, what do you mean he's not poor? He's just right. upper class and his family yeah. is nice. And I think that that is actually the more interesting discussion to have. One, because I do think of something like Lady Chatterley's Lover, where the reason that book gets banned is because it's an interclass relationship. Like that is is mm -hmm. the thing that is so banned, but also this idea that interclass and the relationship that upper middle class to the upper upper class have to each other. And and maybe this is also just I'm so gilded age pills from the past year of only <laughs> watching, thinking about what it means for things to be old money versus new money, but also just the giant disparity that will sort of always exist between the upper middle class and I mean it's why we have an entire market of they're called affordable love luxury products. And, and what they mean by that is it's the Versace jeans instead of Versace, or it's the, the Michael by Michael Kors instead of the Michael Kors runway, right? Like, and, and it is these things that cost slightly more than you should be spending on those objects as a, a middle-class income in order to feel fancier and richer and more expensive. And, and what does it mean to be having discussions about the people that everyone else would be aspiring towards to be comfortable? And that those people are not satisfied because we are actually having discussions of the fact that class cannot just be accumulated by money. And and so I think, and especially having that discussion within English mm -hmm. culture, within ideas of private schools, like and these, or the fact that even if we're talking 2007, Abercrombie and Fitch is building an aesthetic based on the ideas of old money in New England, right? It's it's hunting lodges and it is people who have been in the United States since the Mayflower and found that land, aka stole it from some natives to start with, right? And so I think that those are the places where, again, I feel like the internet seems to be only picking things up on a surface level and doesn't seem to be willing to dig deeper on a film that potentially has more to say if we stop getting so just by the peanuts. 
Okay, I will say this about the ending, though, before we move on from the ending. The last scene, I was not expecting that. I did not, where he dances around the mansion naked. I didn't expect the movie to end that way. That truly was a twist ending for me, that Mm. in particular. I thought, I thought, because what I did know about the movie was I saw an interview with Barry Keegan talking about the nudity, and I assumed it happened in the field and was just like Um, a second, but no, it did not. you 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 thought you were done with that. Basically, yes. yeah, and mm-hmm. I, I, I did not expect like an upbeat like bop dance, like like with with him dancing around the mansion, just like um those lingering shots over Saltburn and mm-hmm. like that gratuitousness Monica was describing earlier. I, I didn't expect that, and I, I compliment the movie on. Yeah, um, so it does something for you because you said you didn't expect it, but does it? Does it? Are, does it? Do you, are you? You say you compliment it. I mean. Are you seriously applauding yeah. it? You're saying, hey, good yeah, job movie. I'm, I'm, okay. I'm saying like, I think that it, Monica, I think did an earlier like general reading of that. Mm-hmm. And I agree <sighs> with her. And I, I think that the movie like did set out to do something. And that scene more so than like the revelation of the twist, um, okay. such that is, did did that thing. And I, I, and I also think that the twist of him being middle class and not poor with like this sort of get, you know, like expected, like, like kind of cliche backstory, um, Mm -hmm. in some ways, like was the, and like the marketing really led you to believe, like, like focused on like poor versus like, you know, super landed rich. Like that Mm -hmm. was like trailers I saw. So I I do think that that was truly the twist, but I I will say that, you know, um, and I think actually the most interesting thing I, I saw on Twitter about that, about the class twist was, Speaking to not just that relationship of like new money and old money Monica was talking about, but someone was analyzing like why someone middle class would take on like this like proximity to poorness and like what perceived advantages someone might take from like aligning themselves with a class lower than where they actually are in life. And I, mm. and I thought that was interesting, you, you know, like I've seen, I've seen to pick up on another Twitter discourse people argue over the term first generation and who has the right to use that. And I, and I do think that we should preserve that term to be very specific in its meaning. Although it's sometimes useful to point out that, you know, not using that term that you might be like the first person in your family to go into a certain career because you're having a different experience, but that's very different than being the first person in your family to attend college. It speaks to a different experience and how some people, you know, want like may or may not want to like downplay their actual class status. So I thought that was an interesting take on what was going on with the class dynamics in Saltburn. So, you know, what hurts it for me though. Um, I, I actually don't disagree with anything Hannah just said, really. However, that said, it is still trying to be a film and a story, a narrative. And in the narrative, there's the problem that no one actually cares that Ali is poor. The only person who is really bothered by it is I don't even remember the character's name because that's how unimportant she is. Felix's girlfriend at school who like Mm -hmm. is sort of, oh, do you really want to hang out with him? You know, and she doesn't like him. And then she's once she's annoyed at Felix, she's still willing to fuck him for revenge. So it's not even that much of a big deal to her other than like, like she's the only character who's really hung up on class in a negative way. Everyone else treats Ali's, you know, poorness, his fake poorness, but his poorness as a, Oh, well, we're going to be good to him then. You know, like Felix takes him on as sort of a project. Felix is sort of, he fetishizes the poor, which Ali somehow knows he's going to do. And I get that, but like, you know, what's his sister's name? Venetia. She's, she's nice to him. The parents are nice to him. Even Farley. Farley doesn't hate, doesn't hate Ali because Ali's poor. Farley's just an asshole. Like he's just an asshole because that's what he is. And he, you know, even when Ali sort of thinks that Farley basically points out, you know, I'm here. I'm middle-class too. I'm here by their virtue. And it it becomes a, he, he has that thing where he's like, well, I belong here and you don't, but he doesn't actually care. He's just trying to, he thinks that's the thing that's going to get under Ali's skin. So he uses it because he's, you know, he's trying to play a mind game. I don't think the, like, 
I think you needed some character, some real character, because the girlfriend whose name I seriously can't remember and I haven't bothered to Google it or IMDb it. Like, I, I think the, the movie needs someone to embody the, oh, you're owed money, so you're less than us argument. Because, like, when when Felix finally figures out that Ollie's not really poor, you know, he goes and he's like, why would you pretend to do this? Why would you do it? And, and Ollie's excuse is, you know, well, I wanted you to like me. And I, I think the presumption is you're supposed to go, well, Felix wouldn't have liked him if he was really middle class, except he would have like Felix isn't that guy. Nothing about the guy like Felix doesn't seem to like have problems with anything. He's actually kind of a good dude or as good a dude as you get in this world. You know, well, like he's not I would, great. I would challenge that a little. I don't know. I felt like a, a lot of this early scene, these early scenes with them at the school are kind of them doing a little bit of a she's all that thing where yeah. they're kind of taking pity on this poor dweeby kid and accepting him into their group or whatever and not necessarily giving him the full-blown makeover but kind of something along those lines where um you know we're gonna take him under our wing we're gonna make him better that kind of thing so I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I was also going to point to those scenes. I think that you're, su- I don't know if you have to buy it, Matt, but I think you're supposed to think that Felix is enraptured by like all these stories of his family and mm-hmm. is like, is, and is more interested in him because of that. Whereas like, if he was just like, yeah, I have a really nice family and they like make me cake on my birthday. Like he wouldn't mm-hmm. take pity on him in the same way. Like the whole reason he gets an invite to Saltburn is because he thinks his dad has died um, mm-hmm. and it is offering him like charity. And it actually kind of reminds me of Emma in a way. And mm-hmm. Emma ha- and by Emma, I mean the Emma 2020 with Anya Taylor-Joy, where she has this line where she's being snobby about Mr. Martin, the farmer, Harry is interested in Harriet. who's like, well, he's like one of like, n- like a farmer with Knightley. And so like, he's like in some ways above my notice because I can't give him charity, but like mm-hmm. he's, he's also below my notice because he's not a my social class and like you know in the book like once harriet marries mr martin mm-hmm. there's a line from austin that's like and naturally they just didn't see each other very much anymore because that's the way things go so like i kind of wonder um if Ollie had been, you know, honest about his social status and his family background and that his father was, you know, alive and really nice, then Felix would have maybe been nice to him, but not like let him into his family or been like fascinated by him. And my problem is like, I think that's the story. I think you're correct in that that is the story they want me to buy, except that I don't believe it. I think that if Ali were not super poor, like, yes, I understand that the story is supposed to be Felix has a fetishizes the poor and Ali is my good deed, except that last year Felix had a friend who I don't think we're supposed to take is was poor. I think we're supposed to take was was middle class that, you know, that he went home, you know, that he brought home and, and he hooked up with his sister. And like, like, I think that that is a, I, I think that Felix can have he's too nice. And I feel like he wouldn't have ostracized the middle class kid either. He would have just been, you know, friends with him. And if Ali had just gone in and just been like, hey, I want to hang out with you guys, he probably could have just as easily weaseled his way in. I don't think it I don't think the class passing the, you know, the passing as poor helped him substantially more than the passing as awkward right like so like in your typical she's all that movie you know your typical mm. coming of age whether we're talking about she's all that the actual she's all that or can't buy me love one of my favorites those films the the problem with the ugly duckling is that he or she is ugly right like like the reason the makeover happens is because it turns out that if we you know if we just cut her hair and take off her glasses she's just like us like they're she's not poor you know she's Mm -hmm. and she's all that she's got a single dad i guess but like but like she's not particularly poorly off 
She's maybe not quite as rich and it's kind of fine, right? Like it's sort of the downfall of those movies when people are critical of them. They're like, well, this is really stupid. All she did was take out her ponytail and take off her glasses. And yeah, that's kind of the charm of those movies is that you can rely on at that point, you can rely on, hey, maybe these kids were being dicks for wanting you to change in the first place for being surface level and everything. But I just don't feel like Felix was I feel like Felix is a good dude because there's but I feel like he's the best person in this world like of everybody in the world he's he and his sister are probably the least asshole-ish like she says hey we're really spoiled but I mean they're just filthy rich they're 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 less spoiled than Farley they're less spoiled than Pamela they're less spoiled than his parents you know I mean, the so, other scholarship guy who does the math is nice yeah and he's and he leaves the movie five minutes in Fair enough. I don't know that he is nice though and I don't know that this is another yeah, he one might be a dick too. Like, you're right we don't know <laughs> yeah you're no, right we, why he do could we need people to be nice like I I do think that that is part of the critique of this like part of the intention of this film is actually that everyone is supposed to be unlikable which is also mm-hmm. why i'm like it, it really is a who's the reason we don't feel so bad about the twist of like it being a villain is because we haven't really gotten to a point where we particularly care or feel sympathy for a single person in this film right and, and right. i do think that that's like that is intentional right that every single one of them is written without a redeeming quality and i feel mm-hmm. like this movie is a lot like the 19th century novel I gotta get my bingo in Vanity Fair. Um, okay, you that one. In that it begins at a school. It's 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 of course like the 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 main character Vanity Fair is is Becky Sharp, a woman, but begins at a school. Becky Sharp wants to claw her way up through the class system. Emily, there's no Napoleonic war than this. It's just like a manor house. But, you know, she she uses sexuality and any like wiles to get her way. Sometimes there are setbacks. Um, And then eventually at the end, it is implied that she poisoned someone to get their money. And it's a very rough sketch, I will admit. But I, I just felt like there are just these these sorts of echoes of like older stories, not just, you know, in the, the 2007 era aesthetics that we've been talking about. But I know that like other people have noticed like parallels between like Brides Had Revisited and, and, and other like older stories that, that, you know, deal with similar themes. So I, I think that there's like, you know, also an undercurrent of like other, like, I'm going to go with classic mm-hmm. historical. Yeah. So Blanca, I'm curious, like you compare this to like a Eat the Rich film, but though perhaps in a different way than something like The Menu or Triangle of Sadness or Knives Out or Ready or Not. Like, do you think it's in the same vein with the same message or do you think that it's doing something slightly different or, or both or, or not? I do think it's doing something slightly different. And one of the things that I really want us to talk, and Hannah, you've provided such a great segue when you're talking about classic literature, is the way that this also really functions as a vampire street, right? Like there is a very explicit reference to vampirism and the eating of blood. Also, the way that Ali as a character is very like slowly sucking the life out of these people after he has been invited into their home, which is a really important part of vampire canon, mm-hmm. is that you have to be invited inside. And so I'm really thinking about what that particularly means when we talk about an Eat the Rich story, because something like the menu is is very different because it's you are like she is trying to not get eaten by rich people there it's a it's a there's blood in the water sort of eat the rich Mm -hmm. commentary and this Mm -hmm. one is doing something different where it is hunting the rich on purpose um because our main character is functioning as a vampire Uh, and i think that there is something incredibly interesting and very explicit through the consumption of bodily fluids and the fact that eric i know something that you can speak to a bit as well but like this metaphor or also the sucking of blood as being akin to sexual activity. And then the fact that it is made incredibly explicit by there being consumption of natural bloods of semen in this film. Yeah, going off of what Monica said, we were talking about this yesterday. This film as kind of vampiristic is like the fact that we have these kind of like acts of sexual deviancy when the vampire film and vampires as a whole are predicated on like this sexual predatory relationship, especially when you go to the 
more modern texts that are interpreting vampires like an interview with a vampire or hmm. um oh geez what's another one that i can't i am blanking on true blood buffy i mean um, there's something that i really want to bring twilight. up which is the like i was gonna say the 2007 of it all means we're fucking yes. talking about twilight y'all thank you I i've been waiting to bring <laughs> twilight into this conversation my job is fucking done continue <laughs> Well, oh no, you 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 got this. <laughs> Wait, can we talk about Kristen Stewart's recent interview? Yes. <laughs> what she said. Uh, I'm pulling it up for accuracy. I sent it to Monica yesterday. So Kristen Stewart recently was talking about Twilight, and she said that, like in hindsight now, quote, "It's such a gay movie. I mean, a Mormon, Mormon a Mormon oh, woman this. wrote this book. It's all about oppression, about wanting what's going to destroy you. That's a very gothic gay inclination that I love." End quote. Yeah, she didn't know that. <laughs> that was weird. <laughs> She was dating Robert Pattinson back then. She still had to have her gay awakening. Like, it's okay. Was, it's okay for her to look back on it retrospectively. Was yes. she really dating Robert Pattinson or was that a PR thing? No, she was. I'm fairly certain she was really dating Robert Okay. Pattinson. Okay. Um, I was not super I mean, like, Obviously, yeah, how, how much do we ever know about what's real and what's not real in Hollywood? But, like, I, I very much believe that this would have been, given things that she said about her life, at that point, um, mm. I very much believe that this was a I'm figuring myself out and what I want phase, you know, like sure. and like like, you know, so I I believe she really was dating Robert Pattinson. I believe she really did cheat on him. I believe that he really was devastated. Also, they were kids, and I don't mean that in a bad way. They were kids growing up in Hollywood with a lot of money in the biggest movie in the world. And, you know those relationships need to be able to happen. Like I, I don't like, I sort of don't begrudge them their onset relationship with their co-star. You know, some people. I was going to say they were also making Twilight, right? So like right. there is a part where they, and they both kind of hated it and they probably mm-hmm. found some in the fact that they were working on this stupid ass movie and that they were really happy to find someone else. Right. Like there, right. there is some solidarity in. And they're good looking. The sex was probably yeah. fun. 2007 or 2009 whatever i was focused on other things uh i mean that's fair yeah i just i guess to me it's weird and we talked about this a little bit it's weird that this caught fire so much like i had my suspicions as to why you know just the, the the cultural moment that it just lucked into i think being available at exactly the right time so I don't think this movie happens if there's not. I mean, obviously, the movie would have happened. I don't think this movie catches on fire if there's no writer and actor strike at the same time. I think there's more content available. Mm -hmm. And so there's just not enough air in the room to be excited about Saltburn. I don't think this movie happens if if Jonathan Majors doesn't lose his case on sexual assault which means that Magazine Dreams, which was supposed to be the... So I don't know if people know about Magazine Dreams. Magazine Dreams is a movie that has not been released yet. It was aired at the film festival circuit. By all accounts, it was going to win Jonathan Majors an Oscar this year because it was supposed to come out at the pinnacle of award season as this critical darling for Jonathan Majors. And it's now an unreleasable movie. So Disney is just sitting on this film that they can't release that he apparently has a phenomenal performance in. And if that movie comes out right in the salt burn spot, I don't think that salt burn happens. And I, and I, and I think that you need that. I think you need the film market being down overall. And people are just looking for a something, just give me something to talk about that is not a franchise movie. I don't like. I don't really so. don't think that that's you fair. Think that- I think I think that 2023 is a world in which Autumn gets to have a theatrical release. That there is yeah, something but about it. the fact that that's not true. Like mm. I think that there is 
something about the like the fact that we are talking about a film that as as Eric brought up, it has this nostalgia for a space in mm-hmm. which I could only explore queer desire in Tumblr fan pages, right? Whereas now mm-hmm. we are now existing in a space where we can have that sexuality in the open. And I think mm-hmm. that this is also a movie that is very smart about choosing to have that session in a way that involves Gen Z by casting these younger actors and making this a film that is about like college age students um in in which the to the like euphoria style audience of it all right and and so i think mm-hmm. that this is a movie that in so many ways we've had discussions over the past year of me being like jennifer's body was ahead of its time Punch was ahead of its time because these were like pieces of latent queer media that we weren't allowed to explicitly address Sulpern is now allowing us to cathartically have these conversations and in a way that like this may not be a widescreen film but in a way that queer people find and make spaces on the internet because they can't find and make those spaces in real life we are also mm-hmm. kind of seeing that as being why this film takes up so much space in in the everyday I do not think that this maybe it would not have reached quite as large a degree but I think that there is something about the cultural moment of being allowed to be and gay openly that make this really important and does also lend to the like why did it get so big it's because we've been begging something like this for you know since 2007 right like and now we finally get to have it and so there is something about the explosion of I wanted to be able to do that for all of these other movies and I couldn't so now I'm gonna put it all in power well and that's kind of what I'm getting at right like so you mentioned bottoms right bottoms I've never heard a bad review of no one who saw bottoms didn't like it. It's made $12 million since it released. It didn't bomb because it didn't cost anything, but like the film market is so down that when it came out and it came out in the summer, it came out August 25th, people were still basking in the glory of Barbie and out and Oppenheimer, right? Like that world was still on fire. And so bottoms didn't get the chance that maybe it maybe even got less of a chance than it could have. Right. But Saltburn, I think, came out in a world where Oppenheimer was out of theaters. It's probably going to go back in for the Oscar push. Barbie's never left. Barbie is still on the is still making money, but it's at the tail end of its you know successful run. So in the two weeks that Saltburn's or actually it's been four weeks that Saltburn's been out in cinemas, it's already doubled Bottoms theatrical run and it's already on television. So that's a that's with it being available on Amazon Prime. It's still made double what Bottoms did. So I think that that I just think that it's remarkable in that not that it's a good movie. That's fine. But it's remarkable in that it's something that is typically probably not super accessible, but has still managed to hit a level of mainstreamness that while I'm glad happened, I'm surprised happened. Is that fair? I think maybe the reason I'm not surprised is this. Mm-hmm. It's a long time coming. Yeah. I, I do also think that the release date was more favorable to Saltburn than Bottoms. Yes. If we're comparing those two films, which I, I want to point out since the comparison has been made, uh, like th- this is just a, a better time to release movies, particularly those who like want have any shot at winning Oscars. And mm-hmm. I also think it's worth noting that the director had a another like buzzy movie that like people either loved or hated and that's promising young woman and mm-hmm. it it made 18.9 million at the box right. office on a 10 million dollar budget so like not a lot but it it did get like critical attention really profitable really profitable for it's for a movie that size yeah. it did it did get critical attention and mm-hmm. it did get like it, it did not on the level of saltburn but like mm-hmm. anyone i know who's seen promising young woman has a visceral reaction to it in a way that like <laughs> yes um we are not capturing when discussing saltburn on this podcast so um I, I do think that there are some things that were in Saltburn's favor in terms of it capturing attention, whether or not other films were going to be released had the writer's strike not happened. Um, so so I think I think those facts are, are just worth keeping in mind. No, on the other hand, it doesn't matter, right? Because the writer's strike did happen. Like, I don't think it takes anything away from it. You know, like this is this is the world that Saltburn was born into. And 
all of that's part of it, right? Part of it, like what did happen is that there was a writer strike. What did happen is that the blockbuster, I'm not even going to say superhero. I started to say superhero when I started the sentence, but the blockbuster movie market collapsed this year. But for the two films that we're talking about, it imploded because people were, as Monica says, begging for anything else, not even just anything gay. They, this is the year that, more so than any year in recent film history, people were just begging for something that was not, you know, what they had been getting another sequel to an IP property. And this was not a sequel to an IP property. It was definitely something else. I mean, I do think that like some of the films that were successful that were mainstream definitely had queer coding in them. And I'm thinking specifically about Barbie and (laughs) Spider-Verse and, and how, Saltburn might fit into yeah. that larger canon. I will say loosely to talk about things that released in 2023 that got attention. I think what's also interesting is that you have a lot of things in this film because it's it's a black comedy and a thriller. It's not like a horror film, but it has some uh, things that are traditionally found in a horror film. And so because it has this uh, identity as a black comedy thriller, it probably got some people's attention who wouldn't have seen it had it been a straight up horror and when you have those people seeing these kinds of aesthetics that are you know typical of a horror movie you know that's gonna be something that they probably haven't seen in i guess mainstream cinema if that's not what they're gravitating Mm -hmm. towards naturally so Mm -hmm. i think that becomes this thing where like where i've seen a million horror films and like i can be like yeah that that's par for the course um, for somebody else, that might have been uh, one of their first experiences with some sort of with uh, those mm-hmm. aesthetics in some capacity. So that makes it stand out for them. And None of us really watch horror movies that much. None of the regulars um, on our show. Actually, I do. do you? I okay. not not to the point that I go see every single one, but until recently, uh, would run out and see every Scream movie. But you okay, know, yeah. I will not support Scream while Spyglass has the rights. And then I, you know, loved Ready or Not. I have I like I, I, a, I mean, I call that a thriller more than I mean. I see what you're yeah, saying, I but mean, I, yeah, Jordan. I mean, Jordan Peele. I, I know a lot of people who don't watch horror movies like watch Jordan Peele, but I've also tried to like educate myself on the classics because I wasn't allowed to watch horror movies as a kid. So really mm-hmm. I turned off Rosemary's Baby, but Halloween is very good. Um, and I really liked Friday the 13th. We don't need to get into the list of Hannah's education of horror movies, but um, <laughs> we, we, Josh and I do make a point during spooky season to watch some of the classics and some of the new ones that yeah. look good. And I'm excited about Abigail, which is the new universal monster movie. You mean untitled um, universal monster? Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, it, it got a title and, um, you know, honestly, don't watch the trailer. Just go see the movie fresh it's from the directors of Ray or Not and Scream 6. But anyway, Eric, something you said sparked some, something in my mind that like, you know, tropes from like the gothic novel or even like novels where like strangers come into communities like Jane Eyre and like they they're kind of seen as the threat by some people, but actually like it's the world around them. Like it's it's interesting that like the fear of the stranger and like the in some ways, like what character you think is seemingly powerless turns into this vampire. And Monica says and Monica, that is a that's a great point and i think that like if you go back like if listeners if you go back and listen to our episode on like all the draculas after watching this movie you can see some parallel imagery between like the original dracula that we talk about and saltburn um I was I was too busy laughing over the line <laughs> about vampires in this film originally to give it much thought, but I was wrong. I was I was not being a close watcher. <laughs> I guess we've got several episodes which touch on vampire mythology and and how vampirism is used uh, psychosexually, particularly on all of our monster episodes with a friend of the show, Mike Chimmers. Yeah. And I, so, so I guess, is there anything else about Saltburn that stood out to any of you that you wanted to talk about besides perhaps that Rosamund Pike is like a delight in everything she's in? <laughs> and this, and this is not the woman that I would like just watching her performance as Jane Bennett all those years ago to take us back to like 2004. That's not necessarily where I would have expected her to end up, but as a testament to her. That's your definitive role, huh? Rosamund Pike. 
well like that's why i first saw her in like that's how she okay. first came on my radar okay. and I, did, I do think that there is something really wonderful about the yeah like who usually gets cast in a period drama with stately manor homes and how can we how can we flip that convention like yeah and so i do think that Ro- rosamund pike is an absolutely wonderful addition to this cast and one in which i'm like oh, no it, it absolutely shouldn't be anyone else like it should be someone who has been wonderfully she's been able to transcend any sort of typecasting but this idea of because again we we are thinking of the like this mid late aughts and and that was the thing that she was known for and so, so oh. to see her like trapped later like still inside this manor home is kind of wonderful right i just think to me the first thing i think of is always going to be gone girl because she's phenomenal in it mm-hmm. you know, so very different role yeah, well, yeah, but I mean, it's, but to me, yeah. it's the it's the role that is definitively yeah. hers for me is yes, uh, yeah, is yeah, Gone yeah. Girl, and that's yes, you know, very, yeah, just very different role from Jane Bennett. Yes, yes, and that, but uh, but puts her on the trajectory that I understand how she went from that to this. She's also very, delightful. Very different role in, again, but yeah, yeah, yeah. She's also delightful in At World's End, which I think is the best of the three in that trilogy. If you want my controversial opinion of the day, <laughs> so I was going to say, going off of the Rosamund Pike connection, we also have Richard E. Grant, um, mm-hmm. who like The Age of Innocence, Portrait of a Lady, uh, mm-hmm. Francis Ford Coppola's uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, like. I don't know. There's something here where I think the casting is really on point mm-hmm. for these types of roles that the film wants to teasing out or trying to build on or contrast in a certain way. Mm-hmm. So we've resolved nothing except maybe that the cast is really good. No, Hannah, and it's the that it's a good movie. And I do think it's a movie movie that you should see in the cinema movie. It, it is a movie movie, especially or more. you should watch it with yeah. your mom. I will not watch this with my mom. No, I will not watch I it with my mom. Sure <laughs> Can we okay. resolve that my mom is the coolest mom? I love my mom. I just, this is not the, this is, I, and, and to be fair, that's, my mom is very much, this is just not a movie she would enjoy. Like I, you know, yeah. like I, like I know, you know, I mean, I've watched movies, I've watched movies with sex in them with my mom before. That's not the problem. This is just not, this, this is not my mom's alley. My mom likes a tombstone. You know, <laughs> we, we I, talked about that. I did binge watch all of the Buccaneers on Apple with my mom and my dad and my sister and my brother-in-law, which is not at all approaching this. But similar themes, kind of, and longer. <laughs> Mav, you'd like it. It's like the CW. <laughs> it is. In the, all of the costumes are garbage. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I enjoy these conversations with you all. I got, I got, a, I got a compliment today on my jacket that, that I wear, my leather jacket that I wear all, you know, all winter, which is for people who don't know how I dress, I, I wear the jacket from Arrow, except for mine's black instead of green. But like the jacket that both, it's the, it continues to be speedy. Thea's outfit, the entire, the entire show, but it's yeah, his. Because they spent all of the four. costume budget on one superhero costume and everyone right. else <laughs> had to come from the mall. Right, right. So I've got that. I've got that jacket. Well, he also wears, he wears the green one for one season. It's the one that has the laces and the, and the leather jacket with a hood. I have the leather jacket with a hood, but mine's in black, so... <laughs> I am a superhero. Anyway, the point being, the 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 girl at the coffee shop liked my jacket. So there. Uh, <laughs> I don't well, know. I guess I guess I still don't think it's a movie movie. I think it's a like I would never have. I I'm glad I watched it at home rather than seeing it in a theater. I, I think I enjoyed you, myself more at home than I did would have in in in, in the cinema. Movie. I don't know. I, admit, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Eric. Please. Oh, I I saw it in a theater and people's the reactions. From people made it worth it. The price of admission alone. Oh, okay, I can see that. So, 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 yeah. so, is it possible that the movie is not a movie movie, but the people around you watching the movie are a movie movie? I'd say it's a movie movie experience rather okay. than that. You know, like there's just some movies that are more fun to work to watch in a theater, and I think yes. this is probably one of them. Okay. Well, does that answer your question, Monica? Is it, are, are you happy? Yeah, I'm happy Mab, with that. Mab, will you at least agree that it's a better movie than Don't Worry, Darling? I'm going to be honest. I've never actually finished Don't Worry, Darling. So, yes. Well, 
you actually finished this one, so here we go. I, I started watching Don't Worry Darling and I was like, I get it. I'm done. <laughs> so, so it so turns yeah, out you won't you won't watch anything, it turns out. If we were doing an episode on it, I would have, but like it was just like where was this gonna go? Like you know, once once I got into Don't Worry Darling, I'm like, you know, will I get this time back? Like what 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 is what is the you know, because I because I can't I'm not enjoying myself. And if it's not going to be interesting to have a discussion about, then why even bother? That's kind of that was my problem. with don't worry, darling. Was this interesting for you to have a discussion about? Very much so. Great. Very much so. So then. And, and, yeah. and that's in a large part to Eric. So thank you so much for joining us and, and sharing mm-hmm. your knowledge. Yeah, thank you for uh, extending the invitation to me. Glad mm-hmm. to have contributed to this. <laughs> Is there anything you would like to plug? Not really. I am just doing me. (laughs) Not a problem. Monica Marvelous, what about you? I'm still not really plugging anything in the new year, Mav, but if you really (laughs) wanted to get a hold of me, you could find me on Twitter at Monica Marvelous. That's L-O-U-X. Or I've been trying this new thing where I say, let's be friends on Letterboxd because that seems like it might be sticking around as a social media thing. Kind of. Yeah, I mean, it's there. Did anybody follow you? Do you have friends or is it still just me? Nope, still just map. If you ask me at like a time when I'm bored and I have nothing to do, I might just make one. I would have followed you. I think that will take up to like three followers. I did just get a new friend. Look, it it is worth me plugging the letterbox on this show. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, Hannah, what about you? You you can find me here. And also, I would once again like to point out to everyone that we're still in a huge wave, like the second largest ever, I think, of COVID. And it's important to keep each other safe. So, you know, get your vaccine booster if you'd like and you haven't yet. Mask up to protect yourself and other people. Stay home if you're sick and take care of yourself if you can. All that good stuff. If you don't know where to buy a good respirator, we can share a link in the show notes. And as always, you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, all the places, always at Chris Maverick. Oh, also Blue Sky. I'm on Blue Sky. Yeah, that's a, that's a place I'm at. I'm at Chris Maverick there. <laughs> and you can follow the show on some of those places. We're mostly on Facebook, Instagram, and Blue Sky at Vox Popcast. You can follow the show's blog at www dot voxpopcast.com where we post about whatever we're going to be talking about next week and you can leave us comments on this or any other show or you can suggest topics or say anything else and sometimes we pick guests from the blogs sometimes we react to things i don't know just follow us if you enjoy the show and we certainly hope you do then please subscribe to us on itunes or spotify or pandora or wherever the hell you get podcasts from and do us a favor leave us a five-star review that really helps us out especially if you leave us a five-star review not just a rating if you write a little something something on itunes apple podcast or spotify that gooses the algorithm makes us more popular and makes me feel all warm and fuzzy inside i would like to thank maximilian of thought for music for our epic theme song building ever so more epically and playing us out i'd once again like to thank eric for joining us i'd like to thank you for listening and we'll see you next time bye bye, bye. bye.